This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. It's so good to see all of you today, and um, it's a blessing to be able to share in God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm 133 and 134 as we finish up the Psalms of Ascent around one central theme of unity. Uh, I'm very grateful for all of you who have uh, just prayed for me in the last few weeks. I'm grateful to uh, Pastor Josh for this opportunity, and uh, Pastor Josh is in the house today. I hope that doesn't make you nervous. I'm over it by now, but I'm very grateful and I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful. Some of you have spoken kind words and I know that you've prayed and I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I know that you're looking forward to Pastor Josh being back next week and I, I am as well. It's a joy to sit under his, his preaching. There is a place where God has promised to give us blessing. And that place is wherever God's people are joined together in unity. In fact, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, which is recorded for us in John chapter 17, um, in verses 20 and 21, he, he said this as he prayed. This is the prayer of Jesus. He said, I, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. So up until this point, Jesus has been praying for the disciples and now he's gonna pray for all of those who will come to know Jesus as a result of the work of the disciples. In other words, that's us. So at, at this point in the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying for you and, and for me. And this is his prayer. I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So Jesus' prayer the first prayer, his high priestly prayer for, for you and for me, for us as a church, is that we would all be one, that we would be unified, that we would live together in a spirit of unity. And, and he, he bases that on the unity that is between himself and the Father. And so that, that perfect unity that exists as Jesus fulfills the one eternal, unchanging, divine will of God Jesus says that same sense of unity, I'm praying for the people of God, that we would be completely like-minded, completely unified as the people of God. And then Jesus continued his prayer. He said, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So it's, it's out of a spirit of unity. Jesus prays it will be unified. And out of that, he says, our, our ministry will be enhanced and enabled and we will be able to minister to the world because we are a people who are unified. And we saw that in Acts chapter four, all the, all the crazy, wonderful things that God was doing in, in the early church. And in Acts chapter four, verse 32, Luke describes the church as being of one heart and soul. And it is out of that like-mindedness, that, that unity that God really enhanced and enabled the ministry of the early church. So obviously unity among God's people is genuinely important and deeply significant. In fact, it is, it is essential for us. And, and particularly 
for us as a church, Prince Avenue Baptist Church, looking to the future in the next few months and the next few years and all that we're asking God to do in us and among us and, and through us, it, it is vital that we move forward in a spirit of unity. So this is a, a timely text as we pray for a deep abiding unity in us as a church. And that's, that's the central theme around particularly Psalm 133 and we'll carry that over into 134 as well. So let's, let's read the Psalms together as, um, as we have opportunity. This is the word of God, Psalm 133, beginning in verse one. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It, that is unity, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on his collar, on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded life forevermore. Has commanded the blessing, excuse me, life forevermore. Continuing in Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So let's, let's begin and focus on Psalm 133 and, and think first of all about the foundation of unity that we want to see in verse one. So here are the Hebrews. And as has been true for the last few weeks, as we've studied through the Psalms of Ascent, they are on their way to Mount Zion to worship God. And they are, they are on a pilgrimage together. This is not a, a group of individuals who are all traveling separately. They are a group of people who are traveling together in a very large group. In fact, you remember in Luke chapter two, when uh, Jesus as a 12 year old had gone to the temple to talk to the, the lawyers and the experts on the law at the temple, he'd separated from his family Mary and Joseph looked for him and they found him in the temple. You remember what Mary said? Mary said, we've traveled a full day before we realized that you weren't with us. So it's, it's not that Mary was a bad mom. It's just they're traveling with a big group, townspeople and friends and family. And, and they're moving together as they go to worship the Lord and as they return home. So here's this, this big group. And yet this big group is, is made up of people who are completely different in their everyday life. There are farmers and fishermen, there are manufacturers and salesmen, there are, there are employees and employers, there are people from all the different tribes of Israel. And, and I don't know if they were Gentiles, but, but Gentiles were certainly welcome. If they were worshipers of the one true God, they could travel with them. There are all levels of education and societal status and, and income. They're young and they're old. They're boys and girls. They're married and single. They're parents and kids. And yet they are traveling together as one. They are all the followers of the one true God who are on their way to worship the one true God. And that one thing, who they are and what they're doing is more significant and more important than any other factor in their life. And what they are seeing is that we are brothers, spiritual brothers. We're a family on our way together. So the foundation of their unity was who they are and what they are doing. The foundation of their unity was God himself and their desire to trust him and walk with him and worship him. There was a time when, when I enjoyed watching professional sports. And um, in the 90s, I, I was a missionary in the Philippines. And that was when um, the Chicago Bulls were, were in their heyday. And, and, um, the, and 
the NBA finals always seemed to coincide with when we had our mission meeting. And uh, we were on the other side of the world. So it was morning when they were playing the games. And so another missionary and I, we would slip out of mission meeting and we'd go find the TV. The Philippines is a big basketball country. So we'd go find the TV and watch the NBA finals. It's a good way to spend the mission meeting. Um, so we were, we were watching and it was, it was amazing. I was, I was always just really, really surprised and, and gratified with the Chicago Bulls. They were, they were so good. But you know, the starting five plus the two that rotated in, the seven-man rotation that they typically used, you know, it was, it was, they had a guy from Serbia. They had a guy from Australia. They had a guy who, who was born in Lebanon and grew up in the Middle East. Um, they had black guys from America. They had white guys from America. They had a guy from another planet, uh, Dennis Rodman. And you look at this, you look at this, these seven guys, I mean, these seven guys, there are two universes, five different countries, different ethnicities, and yet they're there not only winning the NBA championship, but that one year won 72 out of 82 games. It's amazing how this group of people could come together and, and be such a, a well-oiled machine. Well, it, it was because they had something that was more important to them than being from Serbia or Australia or from Lebanon. What was more important to them was winning. And they were Chicago Bulls who wanted to win basketball games. And so there was, a, there was a common denominator that gave them the ability to function together and accomplish something. And that's really what's happening with the Hebrews as they're traveling. There is a common denominator. That common denominator is, is God himself. And God transcends anything that may have been different and so as long as these people are focusing their hearts and minds on God, then there is real unity. They are traveling together as brothers unified in their love for the Lord. Now, the apostle Paul carries this idea over to the New Testament church in Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two, he's writing to the Ephesian church and he's saying, look, you're, you're made up of people who are ethnically Jewish and ethnically Gentile. And, and there is, there's deep animosity between these two groups of people. The Jews think of the, the, the Gentiles as pagan dogs. And, and the Gentiles think of the Jews as just nutcase religious fanatics. And there's hatred there. There's deep loathing between Jews and the Gentiles and, and God is saving them. And all of a sudden they find themselves going to church together. And so Paul writes to them and he says, listen, Jesus in his death has torn down the wall of hostility between you. And what Jesus has done is he's taken two men, Gentile and Jew, and he's made them to be one man. So that in your life, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, there is a common denominator that's greater than what divides you. So your identity, it used to be, I'm a Jew. Your identity used to be, I'm a Gentile, but now your identity is Jesus. So, so there's no longer, there's no such thing as Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There are just Christians, one man. And so Paul is saying really to us, whatever it may be that would divide us, whatever the world says has to divide us. If it's nationality or, or sex or ethnicity or skin color or status or education, 
all of that is transcended by our love for Jesus. And so if my identity is in Jesus and your identity is in Jesus, then that provides the basis by which we join together and grow together. It's, it's very much like a, it's like a triangle. Honestly, if you can imagine a, a triangle and on the base on one point is, let's say me and over here's my wife and, and up at the top is Jesus. Well, if I'm growing toward Jesus and my wife is growing toward Jesus, then what's gonna happen to us? Inevitably, we're gonna be growing closer to one another. And that's the whole heart of the matter. Unity is not about you being like me. Unity is about us being like Jesus. And so if I set my heart on Jesus and I'm, I'm spending my life gazing at Jesus, I'm, I'm setting my heart upon Jesus, I'm going to the word every day to learn about Jesus and I'm, and I'm seeing the glory of Jesus and I'm seeing the goodness and the grace and the generosity and the kindness of Jesus. And, and at the same time, you are recognizing Jesus is, is my redeemer, he's my strength, he's my, he's my fortress, he's my rock, he's my savior, he's my sustainer. And, and I'm saying, yeah, he's that to me as well. Then what happens is there is a basis by which we can grow together because my life and your life is going in the same direction and we're moving steadily toward Jesus and coming closer together. That's the foundation for each of us. And if it's the foundation for each of us, if we're saying, you know what? I want my identity to be found in Jesus. If we're saying, I, I want Jesus to be magnified in my life above everything else, then that provides the foundation by which we can be unified no matter what kind of differences we might have. So the psalmist says this unity that is based upon them living their life for God, this unity is good, that is it's, it's pleasing, but it's more than just pleasing, it's, it's the word carries the idea of being advantageous. So it is, it is advantageous and it's pleasant. That is, it's delightful. So when people are unified in and of itself, that's a wonderful thing, right? I mean, a, a spirit of harmony is always better than a spirit of divisiveness. But the psalmist is, is saying to us, this is more than just a good feeling. Unity actually helps us accomplish things that cannot be accomplished if we're not Unified, unity is advantageous. So let's, let's think in verse two about the functionality of unity. So here are these Hebrews, they're traveling together, they are unified around God and his worship, but, but they are very different. And, and because they're traveling as a group, there is encouragement. Why? Because there are other people who can encourage them. And as they travel with a group, there's protection. Why? Because there are people who can fight. As they travel as a group, there's provision. Why? Because there, there are people who can cook. As they travel, they know where they're going because there are people who can, who can read a compass. And so all of these individuals find the fulfillment of their giftedness within the unified group. So what, what unity does is it sets the stage for us to function with different gifts and with different roles. And so we have this picture of, 
of Aaron with the oil running down his head and running down his beard and running down onto his collar. Some of you have epic beards. You might can relate to that. So what is going on? Well, he's recalling the time when Aaron was consecrated or anointed as, as high priest. And so how did they anoint the high priest? They poured oil on his head. And that oil symbolized the presence of God. And so when they poured oil representing the presence of God, that was their way of, of setting aside Aaron and empowering him for a particular role, a role as high priest. But he's saying that role finds its power in the presence of God. And so it's like if, if this oil symbolizes God's presence, then, then give me more. Don't just give me a tap on the head, pour the whole bucket over me. I want that. I want God's presence flowing over me because that's what enables me to do what God has called me to do. So the oil is evidence of God's presence. And, and because of that, Aaron is able to function as the high priest. So unity, the psalmist says, is like that. When, when we're unified in Jesus, then, then we, by God's presence and God's power, are able to function together for his purposes. And, and it's interesting. It, it is in our unity that our differences actually become profitable. Let's, let's be honest. Diversity can be a very destructive force if it's not grounded in something greater than ourselves. Our strength is in our unity. And when we are unified and strong, then our diversity can be an effective tool in functioning as the body of Christ. Now, this is exactly what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12. He is writing to them about spiritual gifts. And he's saying to them, look, you're all different. You're all gifted in different ways. You have different gifts, different talents, different backgrounds. And all of that functions within the body of, of Christ. But before he talks about their diversity, I want you to listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. So what is Paul saying? He says, yeah, there's diversity, but that diversity is ineffective unless there is first a unity recognizing it's by the power of God that we operate. It's under the Lordship of Jesus Christ that we operate. And it's according to the Spirit's giftedness that we operate. So the unity comes first. We're, we're, we're kind of like a we're kind of like a football team and we're, we're trying to move the ball down the field on offense. And so we, we trot 11 offensive linemen out on the field. And we're probably not going to be real effective if we do that because we really need people who can run the ball. We need people who can catch the ball. We need people who can throw the ball. And so we don't want 11 offensive linemen. We, we want some difference. And so we run 11 guys out there and we have offensive linemen, we have running backs, we have quarterback, we have receivers. But then all of those 11 guys decide they're gonna run whatever play they wanna run. Well, that's no better than having 11 offensive linemen. With the 11 offensive linemen, we had uniformity, but we couldn't accomplish anything. 
But with the 11 who are different, if there's no unity, if they're not all submitting themselves to what the coach tells them to do, if they're not all running the same play, then they're gonna be just as ineffective. So as a church, this is, this is what we understand. As a church, there, there are people who can go and there are people who can send. There are people who can give more. There are people who can pray more. There are people who can teach. There are people who can sing. There are people who can keep the nursery. There are people who can organize. There are people who can administrate. We all live in different neighborhoods. We have different workplaces. We do recreation in different places. We have different interests. And those differences mean that we can accomplish more, but only, only if we are unified around the one purpose of experience and expanding the presence and the glory of God. And so unity and a unified focus on Jesus actually allows us to function with differing gifts in a healthy, effective way through the roles that God has given us. So unity actually helps us to function. But not only does it help us to function, it also helps us to be fruitful. So in verse three, we'll think about the fruitfulness of unity. So he speaks of Mount Hermon and Mount Hermon is on the northern part of Israel. It's the highest mountain. It, it rises to about 9,000 feet. And, and, it's, and it's a place where there's heavy dew on the ground and that, that heavy dew makes it green. So it's essential, especially in, in the dry season when everything would be brown and dying because of the dew that falls on Mount Hermon, there's, there's green, there's life, there's fruitfulness. And so the psalmist is saying, imagine if that dew was like a picture of, of spiritual unity. Imagine that that spiritual unity was falling on Mount Zion where we worship. If that dew of the presence of God was resting on Mount Zion as we worship, if we had that spirit of unity, man, we would be full of blessing and life and fruitfulness. That's exactly what unity is like. It doesn't just allow us to function, it allows us to function in a way that is fruitful for the kingdom of God. We have life and fruitfulness because if we're unified, we're all together pulling in the same direction. I've been studying in my own quiet time in Colossians and I just, I love a passage that I read a couple of weeks ago that I thought really fit this, this text. So this is Colossians chapter two and, and uh, Paul is, is writing to them in verses 18 and 19. He's giving them a negative command, but I want you to listen to the end of this, what he, what he says. So Paul says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Now, Paul has given us a really important key there. He says that growth comes, that we grow, we become strong. How? By being knit together with the head that is, when, when we are unified, when each of us is knit together with Jesus, when our focus is on Jesus, then, then the result is that we grow. There's growth and there's fruitfulness in our life. That's what unity does. So he tells us we're unified by having a transcendent focus on Jesus. Jesus is the one who is above everything. And if we do that, then that will allow us as a church, not only to be functional, but to be fruitful. 
So Psalm 133 tells us that unity is something that God gives us as we prioritize Jesus in our lives. So that means before we move on, we need to ask ourselves and be asking ourselves, am I trusting and following Jesus? Am I devoted to Jesus? Am I knit together with the one who allows us as a body to be unified? Because if each of us are knit together with Christ, if Christ is the focus of each of our lives, then unity will be the result. Now, I want us to keep that same theme as we move on to Psalm 134. And, um, and, and really, we recognize that unity is something God gives us, but there are some principles that, that we can implement that will help us as a church to grow in unity. So I want us to think about that in Psalm 134. So Psalm 134 is the last Psalm of ascent. And uh, while commentators really differ on the structure of what's going on in this Psalm, I, I think that Psalm 134 is, is the finale. I, th I think this is, this is the pilgrims saying goodbye. So they have, they have come to the tabernacle, they have worshiped and, and, and now they're leaving. So they're, they're saying, look, we've worshiped together. We have known the blessing of unified worship and now it's, it's nighttime and it's time for us to depart. We're going home and, and have some supper. So a, as we're leaving, we're the pilgrims. As we are leaving, we look back and we see the priests are still tending to the tabernacle through the night because God's law says the tabernacle is never to be left unattended. And so there are priests from the tribe of Levi who have been assigned the duty of staying in the tabernacle throughout the night. They're keeping the lamps lit, they're cleaning the articles, they're guarding the premises. So I think what's happening in the ears and interaction in verses one and two, the pilgrims are looking back and they're seeing the priest who are staying all night and, and they're speaking to the priest. And then in verse three, I think the priests are responding and they're speaking to the pilgrims. And, and in this interaction between the pilgrims and the priest, I, I want us to see three principles that I think can help us to grow in unity. Now, I think we can learn from this Psalm another lesson about, about unity. So let's look at, at verse one. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. So here's, here's the first principle I think we can learn is that they valued each other. They valued each other. The, the translation begins with the word come. It's actually a, a better translation is behold. It's actually the same word that begins Psalm 133. Behold, it, it's, it's a word that is pointing to something. So it's, it's drawing our attention to something. So they're saying, look, lo, behold the priest. So they're looking back and they're drawing attention to the priest who are still serving. So the servants of the Lord are the priest. These are people who have a, a different role. They're one of us, but they have a different role. I'm a pilgrim. I've come, I've done my worship. I'm going home, but they're staying here doing their thing. And they're not only staying there, they're standing in the night. Okay, I've been there during the day. I've come up, I've worshiped, and now I'm heading out, going back home to get a meal. But they're staying here and they're staying through the night. So I'm done, but there are people who are still keeping on. And they're looking back and they're saying, hey, look at them. 
Let's draw our attention to those guys. So there is, there is an acknowledgement. There is a recognition of what other people are doing as well as an appreciation for their doing it. It's as though they're looking back and they're saying, hey, somebody has to stay here throughout the night and you're doing that. And we see you doing that. You're fulfilling the role that God gave you. And I appreciate you. I value what you're doing. And that sense of value, if it permeates our fellowship, then that's going to give a tremendous growth of unity. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, count others more significant than yourself. You thought about that? How many times that we, we come to church and we think, I want to get the best seat. I want them to sing the songs I want to sing. I want to do this or I want to do that. And Paul says, that's really not the way we should approach coming to church. We should come to church wanting other people to be first, other preferences to be met. And then in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Fight each other to show honor to each other. Back in the, the 90s, there was, a, there was a marriage video series. Y'all know what videos are? There was a video series put out by Gary Smalley on marriage. And, um, and he was a really good teacher. He's kind of goofy. But um, one thing I remember from that series is that he talked about honoring your spouse. And he defined honor this way. He said, honor is when you're in a room and somebody walks in and your response is, it's like, wow, you're coming into the same room with me. I can't believe this. That's what it means to honor someone. And Paul says that we are to try our best to outdo one another in honor. So when we're coming up and there are greeters outside, we're not just like, oh yeah, good morning. It's like, oh, I can't believe this. You guys are out here. You've been here for 45 minutes before church started making people feel welcome. That's, that's incredible. And we go to get coffee and we're not just elbowing people out of the way. We're like, oh, I can't believe it. You made this coffee for us. This, this, didn't just, this didn't just magically happen. Somebody actually did this for us. And you're going to the community group and, and you're not walking in saying, I, I really don't like this series we're doing. You're walking in like, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're prepared and to teach us. I get to be in here with all these people who love me. And we think about the, the were you not excited last week when Pastor Jason two weeks ago told us about the high schoolers sharing the gospel in Boston? Man, I was just like, they need to be honored. Can you imagine if, if the seniors started going to the high schoolers and saying, man, I'm so excited you're here. Man, we need you. You, you bring energy to us. And, and high school students started, be careful, we might pass out. You go to the senior adults, you're like, I can't believe it. I'm so honored to be in church with you. You, you bring a spirit of wisdom and maturity to this place. And where we, we really begin to value each other and to say, you know what? You bring something here that we need. You are doing something for the Lord and for us. And, and that must be done if we're all to be what God wants us to be. So thank you 
We value you. We value that. When we begin to show that sense of honor and value, then we're going to be permeated with a spirit of unity. Secondly, they not only valued each other, they encouraged each other. Look at verse two. Verse two, lift your hands to the holy place and, and bless the Lord. Well, what's, what's that all about? Well, the priests are, are there and, and they have a posture and the pilgrims are saying, look, we, we've learned from Pastor Josh that different postures reflect different spiritual realities, right? So the reason that we kneel when we have our prayer time is because kneeling is a posture that reflects reverence and submission. You can kneel and not be reverent and you can be reverent and not kneel, but it's, but it's an important posture before God because we're, we're saying to God, I, I reverence you and I submit to you. And so I'm kneeling before you. And so raised hands before the Lord is a posture. And it's a posture, I think, of, of three things. First, it's a posture of recognition. It's a posture of recognition. When, when Paul writes to, the, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, he said, I would that men everywhere lift up holy hands in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I see the word holy, I always think, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I, I bought this Bible used and... Um, and there are just very little, in fact, nothing's written in this Bible. I bought it used, but one day I was reading through Matthew and, uh, and it says, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will, all, you will also likewise perish. And whoever owned this Bible had written, oh, snap. <laughs> I, I'm that way when I see holy, I'm like, holy hands? How can I lift up holy hands? My hands aren't holy, my hands are sinful. Well, I can lift up holy hands because of Jesus. Jesus has cleansed my hands. It's just like we talked about several weeks ago. How, how do I ascend into the Lord's house when who can ascend, who has holy hands? Well, I can come before God because Jesus has made me holy. And so if I'm praying with uplifted hands, it's a way of recognizing, of recognizing God's grace. It's a way of me saying I'm coming because of Jesus. It's like we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer. That's not just a cute ending. We say that because we're acknowledging that we're coming based on the authority of Jesus, not on our own authority. And so lifted hands in prayer is saying, I'm not coming because of me. I'm coming because of Jesus. But then secondly, it's also a posture of receptivity because when we pray, James 1, 1, 6 says that we are to pray expecting, we're to pray in faith. And so uplifted hands are a sign like, I'm receptive, I'm serious. I, I, I think it's gonna rain, so I'm taking my umbrella. I'm asking for God's blessings. I believe he's gonna give it to me. So I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to receive it. So it's a, it's a, it's a posture of receptivity, of, of faith and expectation in prayer. And, and then thirdly, I think we see here it's couched between twice when the pilgrims say, bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, to bless the Lord means to acknowledge that God is the source of all and every blessing and to give appropriate praise and thanksgiving to him. And so the pilgrims say, hey, bless the Lord, acknowledge him, praise him, thank him for all the blessings. Lift your hands and bless the Lord. So it's, a, it's an emphatic, it's a way of worshiping. It's a way of rejoicing. 
So when we pray, it's recognizing Jesus. It's receiving God's blessings. And, and as we worship, it's a, it's a posture of acknowledging that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Sometimes our bodily posture is an expression of our inner feelings. If we close today in prayer, and we will, and we're singing, Christ be magnified, and you're standing there like this. Well, your outward posture is an expression of your, of your inner feelings. And so I think we need to think of that here. What are the pilgrims doing? I think that they're looking back and they're saying, bless the Lord, lift your hands in, in rejoicing, bless the Lord. What they're doing is they're encouraging the priest to be really focused on their work as a means of God honoring worship. I think they're saying, hey, look, it's nighttime. I know you've got to work all through the night, but don't see your, your task as just a job. Don't see it as just a, a duty. Don't just simply go through the motions. No, you be all in with Jesus. You be faithful with whatever it is you're doing. Lifting your hands to bless the Lord means that you're engaged. It means you're acknowledging God. It means you're taking your task seriously is unto the Lord. And so verse two is actually an encouragement from the pilgrims to say, hey, be faithful, be engaged, be worshiping. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Isn't that, don't we need that type of encouragement? Isn't, isn't that something that would really knit us together? Because look, some of us have, have difficulty during the week. Some of us, yeah, our culture's falling apart in so many ways and some of us have to go to work and we have to deal with things that we've never had to deal with in all of our life. And we have problems at, at home and, and we have family members who are sick and dying and, and, we, and we come to church and man, we've been beat down and we need to be encouraged. And we need that from one another. We need it from the pulpit and thank God we get it as, as Pastor Josh proclaims the word that encourages us. But we, we need it one-on-one. -on -one. We need to be in, encouraging one another. So we come to church and, and remind each other, hey, our God is the God of the heavens and the earth. Our Jesus is a savior and sustainer. He's the one who keeps us. And look, I know that you've had a hard week this week and I just wanna encourage you to, to hold on to the head, hold on to Christ. I want, you to, I want you to be encouraged to put your faith in him. That would be so much more meaningful to me if someone came up and said, hey brother, I'm praying for you. I just encourage you to be faithful. That would be so much more encouraging to me than if somebody came up and said, hey, did, what'd you think about the ball game last night? That would be so much more encouraging if somebody came up to me and said, hey, who do you think is going to win the election? That would be so much more encouraging than if someone came up and, and just dumped all over me about all the problems in the world. If you want me to help you carry that burden, I will. But what a blessing when we can come to church and people come up to us and say, man, I appreciate you, I value you, and I want to encourage you to be faithful be all in with Jesus. Our God is the creator of heavens and the earth. And if we would do that, that unity that Jesus gives us would be built up so dramatically if we would value each other and encourage each other. Thirdly, I think from verse three, we can see that they prayed for each other. The priests speak out to the pilgrims 
and, and they say, hey, may the Lord bless you from Zion. For the Lord to bless you means to bestow favor. So the priests are looking out and they're saying, as you're going your way, we are praying for you that God will give you favor. Before Beverly and I went to the Philippines, we were at Missionary Learning Center up in Richmond. It was a 12-week course preparing us to go to the Philippines. And, and um, we were there for about six weeks. There was, there was a lot, there's like 25 other missionary couples. There was, there was one guy that, uh, if, if I can just be brutally honest, and just, I'm sorry, I just didn't like the guy. Um, you know, I, he, he was from a different geographical area of the United States. Um, and he just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know why. I mean, he was a brother. I loved him. I appreciated him, but, um, I didn't really, I didn't want to hang around with him. One day about six weeks in, he stood up and he said, Hey, I think it'd be really good if we uh, started just praying for the countries where we're going. And he said, tonight, I'm going to go out to the playground. Um, and, and if any of you want to come out and pray, uh, that, that'd be great. So I'm, I'm like, feeling really guilty. I'm like, Beverly, I guess I better go out there and pray, you know, because I'm missionary. And so, so I go out there and uh, I, I get out there and, and, and it's just me and him. And, um, and so we prayed and he said, you're going to be back tomorrow. I said, yeah, I'll be back. I came back the next day. It's just me and him. And we prayed, came back the next day. And I came back every night Occasionally, our wives would come if they were finished getting the kids down. Occasionally, some other missionaries came, but the common theme throughout for the next six weeks was that he and I prayed together every night. And I want to tell you, he did not become my best friend. But God really changed my heart. And I really came to love him and appreciate him. And I came to see his love for Jesus. And I want to tell you, something happens when God's people pray for each other. In a way that I can't explain, he joined our hearts together. And I want to tell you, if you want unity, um, you pick the person who's most annoying to you and, and begin to pray for them and begin to pray that God would grant them blessing and, and you watch and see what God does. And, and as we pray for one another, God will join us together in unity. They valued each other. They encouraged each other. They prayed for each other. You know what these Psalms are really calling us to? At the end of the day, they're calling us to bless God and to bless each other. And that's really what produces unity. We bless God and we bless each other by valuing and encouraging and praying. And if we do that, we will be working out what God has worked in and we will find the unity that enables us to move forward in a wonderful, world-impacting, God-honoring way. But all of that begins with this. It begins with you and it begins with me saying, Jesus, I want you to be the first love of my life. I want you to be the priority of my life because unity flows from a group of individuals who are earnestly saying, Jesus, I want you to be magnified in my life. So we're gonna close with prayer. And after we pray, we're gonna sing. And as we sing, Christ be magnified. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. And I pray that this would be a song, not only of worship, but of prayer to you, that I wanna be a part of a unified people of God, seeing God work in amazing ways. And, and, and for that to happen, I know my, my life needs to be seen in Christ. I want my life to be a magnifying glass shining on Jesus.
So would you join me in standing and let's pray and then we'll sing as unto the Lord. We'll have folks here at the front, pastors and prayer partners. If you have a decision you need to share or people can pray for you, please feel free to come and pray. We would be honored to, to do that with you today. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.